I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, listeners. Claire Barrett here. A quick call out from me for podcast guests. Do you have unanswered questions about investing in crypto? Are you a renter at loggerheads with your landlord? Or if you have another money issue that's been bugging you, send an email to me at money at ft.com. Now, on with the show, our second ever Money Clinic Meets. Today, I'm talking to a very successful but somewhat unlikely digital entrepreneur. I didn't look or sound like an entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur. I just didn't look the part. She's no tech bro, but having interviewed her, judging by a track record, she is an entrepreneur through and through. Although from what she says, it took a while for people to start seeing her as one. When I walked in the the meeting rooms with VCs... VCs, that's venture capitalists, the people you want to invest in your business. They saw a five-foot-tall Welsh woman... They were in their 30s, men with beards, and there was Anne Bowden. Anne Bowden, the founder and chief executive of Starling Bank, and my guest today, who kindly just introduced herself. Anne spent over three decades in the traditional banking sector, watching the world around her being transformed by technology. In 2014, she decided the time had come for banking to undergo the same shift. And quit her job and set about building Starling from an idea into a fully digital bank with 2 million customers, including 300,000 small businesses. Everybody can reinvent themselves. The world changes. There are new demands on people. There are new technologies. There's new ways of doing things. And I had to forget a lot of things I knew. She's now at the helm of one of Europe's biggest fintech companies. But rewind seven years and Starling was just a dream in the bottom of a coffee cup. I turned up in, in a coffee shop in Marylebone High Street early in the morning, just as they were opening. And yeah, it was my office. I didn't have a glossy office in the city any longer. I didn't have any staff. It was me. And there was a very, very kind waiter. Two hours later, as the city was opening, I'd emerge after having written probably about 40 or 50 emails, asking for people to help me with this business. Luckily, Anne will be sharing with us some bits of advice she has picked up on the way. I think the first thing is to start. Try to do something today. Take the first step. 
coming up are many more financial lessons from this digital entrepreneur. But first, how did Anne's upbringing shape her own relationship with money? Well, my family didn't have a lot of money, but we were very good with it. And my parents worked hard. And I actually knew that my father worked overtime in the steel industry on a Sunday uh, to pay for our holiday in a caravan in France in the summer. I was part of that planning of the family of our day-to-day finances. Brilliant. And what did your mum do? Mum worked in the local department store. She had worked all her life and really enjoyed her job. What did your parents teach you about money when you were young? I think my parents um, really understood the fact that money is relative. If you mix with people who have lots of money, that go to the golf club, well, you'll feel poor. And therefore, going on a picnic to the beach is cheap and fun. And I often heard my father saying that, you know, we couldn't afford some things that people in the other parts of town would have. But that was okay because we were enjoying ourselves. Anne studied chemistry and computer science at university, not the most obvious choice of subjects for someone who would spend their career in finance. But her interest in the world of money was always there. My father used to come home from the steelworks on a Sunday with all the Sunday newspapers all covered in grease. And I'd actually open the newspapers and go to the money pages and start reading them all or whatever. I loved the whole idea of of finance and and how people saved and how people spent their money. So I was really, really sort of into it all as a bit of a hobby from the age of 21. Somebody writes for a newspaper, that's obviously admirable. And I'd encourage all listeners to to educate themselves and read as much about about money and finance as they can. But what's your advice for, for young people today? How seriously should they take these kind of money worries? I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not going to use the usual thing, which is this generation of spending money on avocado and toast because they're not. It is really difficult at the moment for people to get into great careers. And what I'm trying to say is that if you can invest a little of your time and effort to get onto a career ladder, that is a good idea. And then once you've got the job, do a little bit of saving and, you know, understand how you spend your money. But the most important thing is actually try to find your place in society. Anne started out as a graduate trainee at Lloyd's Banking Group and went on to enjoy a successful career in finance. It was only when she was in her 50s that she decided to take the leap and set up her own bank. I was in Dublin working for a big bank when I came to the conclusion that somebody should start a new bank. So... I then came to the conclusion that that person starting that bank could be me. What I didn't realise was that that plan was very audacious, very ambitious. And it took me almost two years to raise the money to start the bank. Anne had to take a lot of personal financial risks to get her idea for creating a new digital bank off the ground. So what lessons does she have for today's entrepreneurs? Now, quitting a well-paid job in banking to launch a startup was a bold move and you took a lot of personal financial risk to do that, putting your house in Swansea on the line, for example, and burning through tens of thousands of pounds worth of savings. Now, could you talk us through your decision-making process and whether you had a backup plan if it all went wrong? Uh, yes, I I was very careful in that I could afford to lose the money I was spending. 
But I think sometimes people get into a frame of mind where they don't break away from their career to invest in themselves. And I did the calculation that I, I had X amount of money, taking so much of that and really backing myself and betting on myself to do something that was going to be transformational for me and the industry was a worthwhile investment. I must admit, I didn't expect to spend so much before I actually got investment. Yes, it was painful, but a lot of people backed me and I felt I had an obligation to them to take this to the next stage. Mm. And I mean, certainly the story that you tell in your book of how you battled to obtain that venture capital funding for Starling, for me, was the most exciting and dramatic part to to read. Yes, it was a... Uh, I don't think I realised how tough it was going to be when I started the process. I thought of myself as being a very qualified executive that had experience in banking, that was going to raise a few hundred million to start a bank that had a different way of doing things and was going to be very successful. When I walked in the, the meeting rooms with VCs, they saw a five-foot-tall Welsh woman who had spent a whole career working for large corporates. I didn't look like them. and I didn't look or sound like an entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur. And I think that was one of the barriers. I used the rejection to fuel my energy to keep on going. Anne isn't the kind of person to take no for an answer. If a meeting wasn't successful, first thing the next morning, she'd be back in her makeshift coffee shop office, mainlining caffeine and sending out another 40 or 50 emails before breakfast. Did you really send emails to people that said, hello, I'm Anne, I'm starting a bank, will you help me? Yes, yes, it was simple as that. You know, hi, you know, um, we've never met, but... I've been working in banking many years. I now feel that we need to start a new bank. These are the ideas. Could I have a meeting? Um, and I'd be very, very grateful to just have 10 minutes of your time. What was your hit rate like with these emails? How many did you send out in terms of how many people said yes or I'll meet up with you? Sort of 10 emails will get about five responses and you'll get about two meetings. But don't give up because when that email lands in somebody's inbox, it, it may be the wrong time. They may have other things to do. They may have other pressures. Therefore, there's nothing wrong in actually following it up in a couple of months' time. And the circumstances may be different. Anne sure knows how to hustle. But what other tips would she pass on to listeners with small businesses and big ideas who are looking to enter the dragon's den and try to raise capital from investors? I think you use every single meeting as a way of getting feedback to build the story, to build the database, to build the understanding of the industry. But if you do enough meetings and have enough contact and read enough books, I'm a big advocate of reading books from other entrepreneurs. And if you take that in and use it to develop your pitch, the more you do it, the more compelling you get. Take every meeting you can get, push your way in the doors, Take the feedback. Keep on going out there and, and keep pushing. After two years of pushing, Anne finally struck gold. 
She was summoned for a meeting with billionaire tech investor Harold McPike. I flew to the Bahamas economy and had a meeting with Harry and he grilled me. And this went on for several days. And on his yacht one evening, he offered me £48 million for 66% of the company. And all of a sudden, I could build this wonderful bank. But there was hardly time to celebrate. As soon as a big dragon invests in your business, they want to see a return on their money. Because I'd become very, very good at talking to investors, I now needed to become very, very good at building a bank. So I had to move on. And what you do find is that some entrepreneurs get stuck in this talking and talking and talking and never actually get on with building the business. And in any business, you realise that there are different stages. Things that are very useful in the earlier stages are not so useful later. And you need to grow with the business, you need to evolve, you need to learn new skills. You need to forget things that are no longer relevant and make space for things that are really relevant in, for the future years. The pandemic has made predicting the future years that bit harder. But, Anne says, it has nudged people further and faster into the digital age. I think that this pandemic has really speeded up the move to digital. All aspects of people's lives, people are doing more things in a digital way, whether they are Zooming with their office or their family, whether they are buying things online or using it as entertainment because they can't leave the home, whatever. Things have gone digital and they're going digital faster. And that's happened to digital banking as well. I took this opportunity to get an insider's view from Anne on the future of money. Anne, do you think we'll still have cash by the year 2030? Maybe. B, but by 2033, 34, I think it will have disappeared. And there's so many benefits in not having cash. It's easier to process. It is safer. It is more secure to have everything electronic. Yeah, I think cash will disappear. But what about the argument that some people, particularly the older generations, would struggle in a cashless society? I don't think it's an age thing. I think it's an access to broadband and smartphones thing. I believe very strongly that just like having an obligation to provide people with you know, water and electricity and utilities, we need to provide fast broadband access to people. And you know, if you see in this recent pandemic, people need technology to run their lives and therefore people need smartphones. And we have to start considering that as being an essential service. Um. During the past year, Starling has backed £2 million worth of government loans to small businesses. How do you think they're coping during the pandemic? When this started back in March last year, I was quite pessimistic about the future of SMEs. But they have really thrived. And I think businesses are doing better than I thought. I think many more will succeed. Many have used this opportunity to move into the digital space. And they've taken this time in order to decide that they have to become digital, embrace digital. And I'm pretty positive that we're going to have lots of revitalised businesses as we go into the rest of this year. 
That sense of optimism comes from experience and a willingness to embrace change. Long before the pandemic convinced more entrepreneurs to prioritise the digital needs of their businesses, Anne had made the move from traditional banking to fintech. Everybody can reinvent themselves. The world changes. There are new demands on people. There are new technologies. There's new ways of doing things. And I had to forget a lot of things I knew. I believed a lot of things were absolutely 100% true. This is how people run banks and this is how projects are run. But time had moved on. Technology had moved on. Things have dramatically changed in the last five, 10 years. So it's all about really listening and being receptive to what people are saying, how technology is moving on, embracing it and, and looking forward to the future. Now, even when Starling was well on the way to success, you said you still didn't think of yourself as an entrepreneur. And I've always wanted to ask you why. The word entrepreneur suggests to me somebody who is a bit of a maverick, a bit of a risk taker. And I've never really been a risk taker. And, and that's why I probably like banking and doing what I do. My job is to look after people's money and in a safe way and make sure people are getting the best out of the hard-earned cash. Now, business owners and aspiring mavericks, get your pens and notepads out because Anne has some key bits of advice coming up. You have built your business from scratch. What are your top tips for those listeners and how could their bank better help them do this? I think the first thing is to start. Sometimes you spend too long researching and what you need to do is do something. Because so many people spend far too long doing business plans, coming up with ideas without actually going out there and talking to anybody. Because if you actually talk to people, you get great feedback whether your idea is good or not, and you'll be able to get your idea into a fit state to actually launch into market. What are your tips, Anne, on managing money as a business owner? If you're starting a business, you really need to be careful about separating your own money from the company's money. And most banks will be able to open a business bank account for you, either a sole trader account or a small business account. Now, cash flow is the lifeblood of any business. And in your book, you admit there were times when your startup was running on vapours financially. You didn't know how you were going to pay people's salaries. What advice would you give to small business owners who find themselves in a similarly cash-strapped situation today? Be very open with your own customers. Be honest with your customers. If you're running a small cleaning business and the rates you were charging pre-COVID no longer work for you, have those honest conversations with your customers. Say that you perhaps have to review your pricing. I'm sure your customers will appreciate that they want to keep the relationship going with you and will be prepared to help out. So be positive and clear with everybody you deal with. It's interesting you say that, Anne, because I've had conversations with quite a lot of friends in the last year who've lost their jobs or quit jobs, decided to go freelance. And one of their biggest problems is working out what their daily rate is going to be. This is a typical problem for freelancers. And it's a particular issue with women in that they tend not to be prepared to say, I am worth X amount per day. I'm not prepared to have that conversation with you for free. 
I'm a professional. This is my fee. I am worth it. And this is what I'm going to charge. And as a freelancer or starting your business, you can't keep giving away things for free. I mean, that is quite a difficult thing to do. I mean, is there any any tips, any advice you could give to women, especially who just find it so hard to be more assertive on these points? Send the email first and then have the conversation. Because if you actually write it down, you won't back away. If you just have the conversation, somehow you may lose your nerve in the description. And yes, sometimes you won't get that job because you ask for something and they weren't prepared to pay. But it's much better than doing all that work for free. Now, finally, as a digital entrepreneur, what's your passing shot? What are the final lessons that you would want to pass on to other young digital entrepreneurs listening to the podcast? The world is very exciting. Technology is moving very, very fast. We're looking forward to a world where we'll have artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics, self-driving cars. It's an exciting world and there's lots of new businesses that we need to support this new economy. And it's all happening now. The pandemic is horrible and so many people have gone through such pain. But it is moving society on perhaps 10 years very, very quickly. It's an exciting time. I enjoy every minute of what I'm doing at the moment. And I'm looking forward to the future. A future that's going to be technology enabled. That's it for Money Clinic Meets with me, Claire Barrett, this week. And we hope you like what you've heard. If you do, spread the word and leave us a review. If you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show and get some expert thoughts on a money issue that's been bugging you, then email me. Our address is money at ft.com. You can also take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Josh de la Mare and Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Liam Nolan and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.